Well, uh, it's good to see all of you again today, and I'm looking forward to digging back into the, the Word with you, the book of Philippians, as we come into week two of our new series. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, we did something a little unusual. We read through the whole book of Philippians. And uh, for those of you who missed it, we're going to do a little review here this morning. I'm going to reread the whole book again. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, it was interesting. I probably, this was very fascinating to me. I probably had more positive comments about reading through the whole book of Philippians last week than I had about any recent sermon that I had preached. And so I went home, I told my wife, I think I'm just going to read the Bible from now on. I mean, <laughs> people seem to like that more than when I preach. So uh, I guess, you know, these guys are the Holy Spirit inspired authors. So, you know, they do have that on me. But uh, I'm excited for this series, and I'm excited for uh, what we're going to look at today as we continue on in chapter 1 as the Apostle Paul is uh, preaching, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sharing writing to this church in the, the city of Philippi in northeastern Greece, the first church in Europe, uh, a church that Paul had planted, a church that Paul had loved, uh, some of his most faithful friends. And uh, this is the heart from which Paul is sharing uh, this letter to, uh, to the church in Philippi. As we begin this morning, I just thought I'd share a, a brief illustration with you. One of my hobbies, and you may not be aware of this, I haven't shared this with many people, one of my personal hobbies is I like building model airplanes. Um, I, it's just, you know, it's one of those ways that I relax and I don't really rush through it. I just, you know, I'll just kind of poke away at them for sometimes weeks or months at a time. But, uh, one of my favorite model airplanes that I've built recently, uh, this is one that I completed this summer. This is a PBY Black Cat, PBY Catalina Black Cat. It's a, it's a Navy plane that was flown in World War II. They were submarine hunters. And uh, one of the reasons why I like this PBY Black Cat, and it means a lot to me, this particular model, is this is actually the plane that my grandpa, my grandpa Krauss, flew in World War II. He was a naval aviator stationed in Pensacola, Florida, and he was actually a, a trainer. He taught pilots how to fly the PBY Catalina, and you can see a picture of uh, these uh, planes in action. These planes were unique because they had the ability to uh, even land on the water. They had these pontoons that would come down off the ends of their wings, and then when they were up flying, those pontoons would fold up to the sides of the wings, but they could land on the water. They could do rescue missions for uh, pilots that had been shot down or uh, Navy uh, seamen that were floating out in the ocean, uh, but they would also fly low throughout the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. In my grandpa's case, at his base, they would, uh, they would go and patrol the Gulf of Mexico for any uh, German U-boats that may be coming in to attack America. And uh, this has always been a fascinating airplane to me because it's just a really cool and unusual looking plane. But one of the things about building a model, that the goal in building models is really to try to do your best to create an accurate representation of the real thing. And so when, when you're creating the model, obviously you're trying to put it together well. Uh, if you come up and look at this after the service, you're welcome to do that. Uh, I've taken really, you know, extreme pains to get all the fine details right. If you look through the windows, you'll see that even like the gun turrets and the seats are painted specific colors to match the real thing. You can see the control panels in there are painted to match the real thing. I mean, really fine details that go into building the model with the goal of making it as close to the real thing as possible. And I was thinking about these models that I like to build uh, this week because the passage that we're looking at this morning 
uh, is a passage where Paul is going to pray for his friends in Philippi. And, and it's a prayer that Paul prays in hopes that they too would become models of Jesus Christ. See, that, that was Paul's goal for his friends at the church in Philippi. And it should really be the goal of all of us as followers of Jesus. Our goal should be to grow in Christ-likeness so that when people look at our lives, they see a miniature model in us of Jesus. That they would see the likeness of Christ in the details of our lives. That's the goal for us as Christians is we want to put our trust in Christ and then allow him to do his work, growing us, molding us, shaping us more and more into his likeness, into his image. And this was Paul's goal for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Paul wanted to see their lives modeled after Jesus. He, he wanted them to become, if, if you will, little Christs, little images of Christ walking around the world, followers of Jesus who were growing in Christ's likeness a people who are shaped more and more into the image of our Lord for their joy, for the world's benefit, and ultimately for God's glory. And friends, Paul didn't just desire this for the people in Philippi. He prayed towards this end as well. He prayed that they would grow in Christ's likeness. We're going to see that this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul wanted his friends in Philippi to grow to be more like Christ. And so he prayed that this would take place in their lives. And this morning, as we look at this prayer, we're going to find a model here in Paul's prayer. A model for how we too can be praying for the people in our lives whom we love. Praying for them that they too would grow in Christ's likeness and become models of Christ to the world. So, so we have a model prayer here this morning with a goal of creating model Christs at work in the world as we display the image of Jesus in our lives. So this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is the conclusion of Paul's introduction to the book of Philippians. Last week we took a look at two key themes that we find in the book of Philippians. Paul's joy in Christ and his joy in camaraderie in Christ. And today we're going to see Paul coming out of his joy in his camaraderie with the people in Philippi. The overflow of his joy in those relationships was his desire to pray for them. He wanted to pray for those he loved in this church because he wanted them to continue to grow to look like Jesus. So let's take a look at this passage. It's Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Then I want to come back and I want to highlight three observations about Paul's prayer. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Man, it's a short passage this morning. But as I was studying this week, this passage is just packed full of some important teaching for us as God's people. What a, what a model we find here in Paul's prayer. A model prayer, praying for the growth of model Christians here in this church in Philippi. 
three things I want to highlight about Paul's prayer here for us this morning that we can take and apply to our own lives and to us as a church here at Lakes Free. Number one, Paul prays that the Philippians would love like Christ. This is the first thing Paul prays for his friends at the church in Philippi, that they would love like Jesus. In fact, he says, I pray that your love would abound more and more. Paul wants to see the love present in this church continue to grow, continue to increase. He prays that it would abound more and more. Now, the Philippians, friends, if you remember from last week in the background that we talked about, the Philippians had already proven their love to Paul. I mean, this was his most faithful church. These were his most dearly loved friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, who from the very beginning had been faithful partners in the gospel. They had embraced Paul. They had embraced his message. They had launched him out to continue serving the Lord. They had given them their, him their support. They had supported him financially, emotionally, in their relationships. When Paul, 10 years later, now finds himself in prison in Rome, they went out of their way to send a messenger, Epaphroditus, to find Paul in Rome, to bring him gifts of blessing, to encourage him and sustain him. This was a church that had already proven their love. And yet Paul starts his letter to them here in verse 9. He says, I want your love. In fact, I'm praying that your love would abound more and more. Paul wants more love from these people. He's like a cheerleader watching a football game and the team scores a touchdown. And what do the cheerleaders do? They cheer more, more. They want more. More love, more love. That's Paul's heart for his church. Friends, any good pastor would pray for this, for his church, for their love to abound more and more. In fact, this is one of the primary duties of a pastor is to exhort his church to continue to grow in love, to grow in their likeness of Christ by loving more and more and more. Some of you who were here two years ago when Pastor Rick and I made our transition from, uh, from him stepping down as senior pastor and then passing the baton to me. It was interesting, just this week, Kyle Smith, one of our elders, shot me an email and he said, hey, Jason, I don't know if you remember or not, but Pastor Rick's last sermon to our church was on Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Friends, one of Pastor Rick's last messages to you, the people that he had loved and served for 33 years as senior pastor, his last message to us here at Lakes Free was that our love for one another might abound more and more. See, friends, that's the desire of a pastor for his church. They want us to continue to grow in Christ's likeness by loving more and more. And why is love so crucial to our growth in Christ's likeness? Well, friends, there's at least three reasons I want to highlight for us this morning why Paul prays this as the foundational prayer for his friends in Philippi. Number one, love is crucial to our growth in Christ's likeness because God himself is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Brothers, Let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. And everyone who is born of God loves like God loves. If you don't love God, you don't know God, John says. Because God is love. Secondly, we we love and, and we seek to grow in love because Jesus himself is abounding in love. If you remember the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he asked, what will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? 
And he says, nothing, nothing in all creation, neither height nor depth nor powers nor rulers, all right, nor the present nor things to come, nothing, he says, shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because Jesus is abounding in love. And so as we seek to become models of Christ in this world, Paul prays, and I pray for you that we would grow as a church abounding in love. Thirdly, Love is crucial to our growth in Christ because without love, everything else, friends, everything else is just noise. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith so as to move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul says, look, you can do everything there is to do in Christian life. But if you don't love, all you are is a noisy gong and clanging cymbal. Friends, I could stand up here as your pastor. I could preach messages all week. I could read the word of God. I could recite verses. I could serve. I could go to fellowships with my ABF. I could do all of those things. But if I don't love, I'm just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Without love, it's all just noise. And so Paul prays that his church would grow in love. Now, I want you to notice here, friends, the love Paul prays for, for his friends in Philippi, it's not just any kind of love, okay? It's not a wishy-washy, sentimental, warm, fuzzy kind of love. It's a love with focus and direction. How does the love that Paul prays for abound more and more? He says that this love abounds with knowledge, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. The word knowledge here that Paul uses is an important word. I want to talk about this word in in the original Greek for a moment. The word is epinosis. It's a word that's only found in the New Testament. It's a word that's used 15 times in Paul's letters. It's a word that Paul uses four times in his various prison letters in the introductory prayers for people. It's a very special word to Paul. He prays for his friends that they would grow in knowledge. But not just any kind of knowledge. This was a special kind of knowledge. It was a spiritual knowledge. It was the knowledge of God and his will for our lives. And Paul prays that we would grow, that his friends in Philippi would grow in this special knowledge of God and his will. So that we would discern what is right and approve what is excellent. But we can't do that if we don't grow in knowledge. And where does this knowledge come from? Where does this special knowledge of God and his will come from? Friends, the only place you can find that knowledge of God and his will is in God's revealed truth to us found in his word. And so Paul is praying, look, I want your love to abound more and more, but I want it to abound in knowledge, advanced spiritual knowledge that comes through knowing God and knowing his will, which we learn from God's word. We have to be in the word. This is why spending time with God in his word is so important to us, friends. Because the more you're in God's word, the more you come to know who God is and know who Christ is. 
And the more you come to know of God and Christ, the more, Paul says, your love will abound more and more. See, love is the natural overflow of the knowledge of God. You can't help but love as you come to know God more and more. And that knowledge only comes through being in his word. I I, I read a really troubling statistic this week. I came across a story talking about uh, cell phone use in America. Do you realize this story reported the average American will touch their cell phone 2,600 times a day? That's the average. Will touch your cell phone 2,600 times a day. More regular users will touch it upwards of 5,000 plus times a day. Where do you fit in that spectrum, right? 2,600 times a day, the average American touches their cell phone. But what troubled me as I read that story is I had just recently read another article that talked about Bible use among Christians in America. And friends, do you know that today in America, less than 2 out of 10, 19% of Christians read their Bibles on a daily basis? We pick up our cell phones 2,600 times a day, and yet we hardly spend any time in the Word of God. And Paul says this is the basis of love. This is where we get the knowledge to love, in the Word. And, And I wonder if a lot of our relational problems today aren't a direct result of our lack of epinosis, of of knowledge, the knowledge of God and His will for our lives. When we think of the marital strife that we face or or the tragedy of divorce or or the struggles in our culture with sexuality or or our challenges in parenting our kids well or, or our relational challenges with friends, right? All of these things. How do we ever think that we could love rightly when we don't have the knowledge to love? And if we're not spending time with God and growing in the knowledge of His truth through the Word, what do we expect? It was very interesting. Last month, my wife and daughter were out shopping for Christmas. My wife sent me this picture of a pajama set that they found at Kohl's. It was from the movie Frozen 2, one of the biggest blockbusters this winter. Millions of people have gone to see this movie. One of the main themes in the movie you see on the front of this t-shirt, live your truth. That's one of the main themes that millions of kids around our country are being taught through this, this movie. Live your truth. And that's one of the key themes of the world today. Live your truth. If it feels good, do it. Listen to your heart. Friends, this is literally the worst advice you could follow. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And you think you're going to find happiness and joy living your truth, listening to your heart, your heart that is desperately sick? Friends, such sad, tragic advice. We don't need to live our truth. We need to live God's truth. And you see, when we're rooted in God's truth, that's when we'll have the discernment to live rightly and to approve what is excellent in God's eyes. See, friends, please understand this morning, true love abounds where the knowledge of God comes first. And this was the basis for Paul's prayer to the Philippians. And this is why we need to stay in the word. 
This is why as parents and grandparents, we need to lead our families in the word. This is why we need to make church a priority in our lives. Because it is in the word of God that we find the knowledge that leads to our abounding more and more in love. The second thing Paul prays for his friends in Philippi, he prays that they would live like Christ. Paul's next prayer in these verses 9 through 11, that they would live like Christ. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul prayed that his friends would be pure and blameless. Now, these two words are important and fascinating for us to look at this morning. When Paul prays that his friends would be pure, in the Greek, the word he uses here is elikrines. And this word means sincerity, purity, integrity, or to be sun-tested. Sun-tested. Isn't that interesting? What does that mean? Well, friends, in the ancient world, pottery merchants were known for not always being completely honest with people looking to buy their wares. In the ancient world, pottery merchants would find a piece of pottery, and if that piece of pottery was cracked, sometimes what they would do is they would melt wax, and they would stuff the cracks with melted wax, and then they would paint over it or glaze over the melted wax so that they would display their pot, and it would look like it was a solid, uh, you know, heavy-duty pot, but it was really full of cracks that had been filled with wax. But here's what you would do. If you would take that pot and hold it up to the sun, the sunlight would reveal the cracks in the pottery. It would reveal the wax. And you would know that this pottery was garbage. I'm not going to buy that pottery. In fact, the good merchants would actually put a label on their pottery if it was good A-plus pottery. They would literally label it sun-tested. This was a word, sincere. The word sincere means sun-tested. And Paul is praying that we would be pure, sun-tested, like pottery with no cracks, with no blemishes. He's praying here that his friends would be people of integrity, sun-tested. That their lives on Monday would be consistent with their profession on Sunday. He wants his people to be pure people of integrity. He then prays that they would be blameless. Again, another fascinating word in the Greek, the word blameless, aproskopos. It means without offense or not causing offense. It means not causing someone else to stumble. I I remember when I was in high school playing football at Eden Prairie, one of the things our coaches would have us do at the end of practice every day is, is run killers. This is where you would run to the 10-yard line and back, and then the 20-yard line and back, and then the 30-yard line and back, and you'd go all the way down and back the field, the whole length of the field, 100 yards. But here's the thing. They would tell you if you didn't make it in a certain time limit, you would have to do it all over again. That's why they were called killers. I remember one day we were running killers during two-a-day practices in August. And I was working with the defensive lineman at the time. And we're running in this big horde of big linemen running down the field. And uh, one of my buddies thought it would be funny. We were on the 90-yard line heading back. We had like 10 seconds to get back to the end of the field to, to make it. My buddy decided, I'm going to just kind of kick Jason in the ankle. And sure enough, I go rolling across the field. I tripped, and I was late to make it back to the end zone, and I had to redo my killers. Friends, 
My friend who did that was not a proskopos. <laughs> he was not without blame. In fact, he was to blame for causing me to stumble. How sad it is when Christians cause offense to the reputation of the gospel. I heard a story just this past week of a pastor who recently had an affair. Just devastated his church. I mean, can you imagine a pastor standing in front of people for over a decade preaching God's word, encouraging them to pursue fidelity with Christ, and yet here he is on the side having an affair on his wife. It just destroyed his church. People's faith was devastated as a result of this. His family ended up being broken by this. Non-believers in the community mocked this church in the media and the press. This man had caused so many to stumble. Friends, this is why Paul prays for us that we would be blameless. This isn't just a prayer for pastors. This is a prayer for all of us, friends. Every single one of us have the opportunity to either point people to Jesus or to cause offense to the gospel of Christ. But, but it's more than just the believer's witness that's at stake here for the Apostle Paul. Paul wants his friends in Philippi to be ready to stand proud at the day of Christ. He says, I want you to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, what is the day of Christ? Well, the day of Christ, friends, is the day when Jesus Christ returns to earth for his people. And the fact that Jesus is coming again should motivate us to live in light of that great day. My, my wife Kim and I recently celebrated our 16th anniversary just in December. 16 years. And friends, I remember 16 years ago when I asked Kim to marry me. When I became engaged to Kim and made that commitment to Kim, it literally reordered all the priorities of my life. It, it changed everything about who I was. It changed all my priorities. How I spent my money, the, the people I spent time with and hung out with. I, I had to stop hanging out with girls that I used to hang out with. All right? It, it, it reordered not only my money and my, my relationships. It reordered the way I ate and exercised. It changed everything. Why? Because I wanted to be prepared to honor and please my bride. And friends, the Bible tells us that the groom is coming for his bride. Jesus Christ is returning one day. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we living in light of that reality? Are you encouraging your fellow believers to live in light of that great day? Are you praying for them to live like Christ, for the sake of Christ, in preparation for Christ? See, what a great encouragement we find here in Paul's model prayer as he prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Lastly, this morning, the third thing Paul prays is that his friends in Philippi would look like Christ. Paul prays that his brothers and sisters would be fruitful Christians. He says, I want you to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, friends, here Paul is emphasizing the righteousness that grows out of a Christian's relationship with Jesus. There's two kinds of righteousness the Bible talks about. There is positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is the righteousness that is ours when we trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. 
It's the righteousness that allows us to stand before a holy God and he no longer sees our sin, but he sees the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. And so we can stand before God pure and blameless positionally in Jesus Christ. But there's another kind of righteousness, the kind Paul is speaking of here in Philippians one eleven. It's practical righteousness. It's the fruit of righteousness that grows in our lives as we are conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Paul speaks of this elsewhere in Galatians chapter 5 as being the fruit of the Spirit. As we grow in Christ's likeness, the fruit of the Spirit practically grows within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of this fruit is produced as we grow in Christ. And how does this fruit grow? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, look it, we need to stay connected. You need to be connected to the root. If you're not connected to the root, there's not going to be any fruit. One of my favorite places to go in the whole world is Door County, Wisconsin. Door County, Wisconsin is known for their cherry orchards. In fact, one of my favorite orchards up there is Sequest Orchard. They produce over 50% of all the cherries in Wisconsin. Thousands of acres of cherry trees. A few summers ago, they had a tragedy where a vandal came into their fields and hacked down 600 cherry trees, ripe for harvest, beautiful fruit. Friends, what do you think happened to those clumps of cherries that were cut off from the trunk of the tree? They withered and they died because without being attached to the root, there can be no fruit. See, this is why we need to be connected to the vine. Look what Jesus goes on to say in this passage, John 15, 8. He says, this is my, by this, that you bear much fruit, by this my Father is glorified. You see, when we produce fruit in our lives, when the fruit of righteousness grows in our lives, who gets the glory for that? God gets the glory for that. When an orchard produces an abundance of fruit, who gets the glory? The gardener, the orchard keeper, they get the glory for the fruit. And this is what Paul prays for his friends in Philippi. He wants them to be so laden with fruit, so full of luscious, beautiful, ripe for harvest fruit, that our master gardener, Jesus Christ, will get all the glory and praise for the work that he's done in us. Friends, there's no greater achievement in life than to bring glory to Jesus Christ. It's better than all the money you'll ever make. It's better than all the degrees you'll ever attain. It's better than all the acclaim and fame you could ever hope for. Bringing glory to Jesus Christ is the greatest achievement any of us could ever accomplish. What a prayer Paul prays here for his friends. He prays that they would love like Christ and live like Christ and look like Christ. Such a simple yet powerful prayer. And what a model for our prayer, friends. Let me ask you this morning, are you praying this prayer for the people in your life? Are you praying this prayer for your spouse, for your children, 
for your friends, for your pastors and elders. Lord, I pray that they would love like Christ. I pray that their love would abound more and more. Lord, Lord, I pray that my wife would live like Christ, that she would be pure and blameless, Lord. Lord, I pray that my son would grow up to look like Christ, that he would abound with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. What a prayer for us to pray for those we love. Friends, I want to challenge us this morning to begin praying this prayer for the people in our lives. Wouldn't it be great if we began to see more and more miniature Christs, models of Christ to the world walking around as we pray this prayer? See, here's the thing. God wouldn't have given us this model prayer if there wasn't real power behind it. So let's pray this prayer and let's trust God to produce the fruit. Let's close in prayer together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this model of faithfulness, this model of commitment to his friends who he loved, this model prayer that Paul gives us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace this model prayer in our own lives and for our own relationships, that we too would pray for the people that we love and care about in our lives, that they would love like Christ and live like Christ and look like Christ. What greater prayer could we pray for those we love? And so, Lord, I, I, I just pray, God, that we would be inspired to take this simple prayer and apply it in our own lives faithfully, consistently, and that we would see you produce incredible fruit to the glory of God in the lives of those we love, molding us, shaping us, conforming us more and more into your image. And Lord, as Pastor Rick prayed for us two years ago, I too pray for our church, that here at Lakes Free, we would be a people known as model Christ's. Little miniature Jesus is walking around our community loving like you, living like you, looking like you, pointing people to the God we serve for your glory and honor and praise, Jesus. Do that work in us, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.